You're listening to Who Run the World, a podcast about female leadership in the workplace. I'm Marilyn, your host, and in this episode, I talk to Peggy Lee, co-owner and founder of SPF Affinity, a boutique and strategy agency that specializes in hospitality. On her business card, Peggy refers to herself as CTS, Chief Troubleshooter, and Tinkerbell. You want to know why? Listen to the episode. Peggy shared with us incredible stories about her childhood growing up with not one, but two police officer parents in Hong Kong, about what inspired her to join the hospitality industry, and about working with rock star chefs in London. She had us completely gripped from the moment we sat down together till the three hours later when we couldn't stop talking. So here you have it, my conversation with Peggy Lee. If you look at my business card, it says CTS Stroke Hospitality Tinkerbell. Now, the word of CTS means mean Chief Troubleshoot and I give myself the title of Hospitality Tinkerbell. Now, the reason why I call myself Hospitality Tinkerbell, and a lot of men, when they receive the card, they look at me thinking, what's that all about? And I said, well, have you ever sit down to watch Peter Pan with your kids? What does Tinkerbell do in Peter Pan? She finds things broken. She fixed it, she make it right, and she give it back to you. And you realize, oh, it's working again. It's amazing. So this is what I do. Let me take you back to your childhood. You were born and bred, you said, in, in Hong Kong. Tell me about that. What was that like? What, what was your family like? Mom and dad, they were both Hong Kong police. And mom wasn't particularly funny because grandma and granddad ran out from China when it was the revolution and of the famine. So they literally walk like a whole week from where they live to go over to Hong Kong. They had nothing. So mom probably had education up to about year three in primary school. And she is the third sibling out of four. So mom has always had this thing called, I don't want to be hungry. And I don't want to think, you know, where is my next check going to be coming in? So in Hong Kong then in the 70s, it's still pretty much of the corrupted era where, you know, the police is pretty much like, you know, what do we say, a licensed fuck, if we want to call it that way then, in theory. So a lot of people's like, from a public persona is, why would you want to go to police? And so mom was like, no, I want a regular paycheck. I need to have something that I know I'm secure. So she was a second set of ladies who graduated from the Hong Kong Cadet School. And then mom and dad met at the most notorious areas that is known for the vibrant underwell scenes. So this place is called Yao Ma Te. Yao Ma Te is next to the famous Temple Street in Hong Kong. Temple Street is known for there's the drugs, there is the <laughs> the brothels and, and, and anything that things don't you don't see, you get to see. Mm -hmm. So as you have all the most vibrant of any town, it's like you go to Bangkok and you go to a certain street in Bangkok. Is that resembling? And so they met as police officers there because they were on a case? Yes, that's vaguely what mom and dad told me. So they met and then they got married. I have an older sister, so there was only the two of us. What were your parents like? They're very tough love. They're not, you know what, a lot of people when they think that, oh, you know, police mom and dad, you know, they're very stringent, they're very organized. No, mine too clearly are not <laughs> that. They, 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 they clearly are that case when they're at work, but at home they're like, anything goes by. 
the only thing is obviously the tough love is they're like, okay, you're hurt. Is it really that painful? No, sort yourself out. So I learned to cook for myself at a very young age, like about eight or nine, because they clearly are not available. And uh, my older sister, she's three years older than me, so at that time she already got sent to UK for secondary schooling. So it's pretty much me either cook for myself or go downstairs to get a takeout. You know, the the, the usual I get myself go by kind of thing. Peggy's had to be independent and autonomous for her entire life. That carried her throughout her childhood and adolescence, but it also helped her become the woman that she is today and make the choices that she did around her career. As the kid of two Hong Kong police officers, she got a grant to study in the UK, where, just like her sister, she went to a boarding school. The same one, in fact. And she says it was her time in the UK that really shaped the person she is today. Here's Peggy telling that story. The biggest thing contribute to what I am has to be in the UK boarding school life. So you were sent when you were 11? Ten and a half. Ten and a half. And it was the same one as your sister? Yes. So you were back together? We were, but then also we weren't, because obviously she's in a much senior class. You know, she's almost reaching to the point like senior high, and I'm in junior high. So we hardly get to see each other, despite we're in the same boarding house. So you house. were all alone? In Pretty UK. much. And then... You know, the, the, the first thing that people always perceive is Hong Kong being a British colony, you must know a certain level of English. In actual fact, no, you don't. Because when you go to a regular governmental school, they only do two sessions of half an hour classes of English. And the teacher who teaches you have a, such a strong Chinese accent that when you learn what you learn, after you start applying it in UK, half of the time people have no clue what you're talking about. And then up to a certain extent, so is the vulnerability in you in first and foremost is a new environment, a new city, new group of people, sharing room with six other girls, new regime of sharing bathroom, sharing this, sharing that. Then you go to the student canteen, the food is unbearable. I mean, seriously. I believe you. The food was atrocious, atrocious. How did how did you feel through those years? It was very tough. But then also at the same time is you kind of look at it as like, okay, I either get through it or I get through it. So you just had to survive. There was no other option because parents is basically already say to us like, we literally give up our monthly salary for you guys just to be in UK. Suck it up. Was this an all-girls school? Yes, then I guess you must have learned to become independent and figure everything out for yourself. You do. You, you, learn, you learn how to navigate. You learn how to negotiate. And you also learn how to weigh things in a different light. How so? In an all-girls school. Girls, I mean, I like my fellow females. No prejudice, nothing. But when we get together, we do get into that rivalry, irregardless about family background, etc. How do you pick your battle? I think that's the most fundamental lesson number one. And when you have six girls sharing one room and sharing that three-door bathroom, you learn to navigate. And you learn to navigate very quickly. And you also learn to assess the situation, also assess the people in who are the people you can call friends, who are the people that you know that we won't click for a million years. I love that. And I think I'm going to apologize to my husband in every episode. Honey, I love you. But I always joke like that my husband has like no understanding of other human beings. And I think the reason why I have a good understanding of human beings is because my parents got divorced. 
And so when I was really young, I had to learn how to keep them both pleased because I could get things from them if I did that. And I had to be able to see whether they knew if I was lying or not, whether they could pick up on my manipulations. And so it turned me into someone who can now look at someone and understand how they feel. It actually turned me into someone who's very empathic. But I think that that skill was born then. And I guess, I guess in many ways, your, your ability to assess very quickly whether you'll be able to get along with someone and, and how they are different from you and so on, something that you gained in that school. I think for sure that's the first thing. I think second thing is because from a very young age, I'm already having to deal with so many different nationality. Now, understanding everyone's preference, knowing the who plays with who, what is the reason behind it. Social network. Exactly. Somewhere, yeah. somehow, this whole kind of like a, a mini world is surrounding you. So you're already dealing with the first format of people politics from the age of 11. Peggy is one of the few people that I've heard refer to high school days as people politics. And as she navigated through her high school, Peggy was also trying to figure out what she wanted to be when she grew up. When I asked her the age-old question, you could already hear the Tinkerbell fixer-upper come out of her answer from a very young age. She wanted to be an engineer because for her, engineers fixed things, but also because it was a challenge. Listen to what she had to say about her career choice. I wanted to be an engineer because I thought, oh, this is cool. You know, there's hardly any female engineer. <laughs> the pay looks cool. Did and you want to be can... an engineer because your mom was a police person? No, it well. wasn't. It was it was something quite interesting. So obviously my sister then was looking at picking what course for her university. Mm-hmm. My sister Angel, being a very eccentric lady, decided to learn fashion design. And my mom literally went... Ballistic. Ballistic is an understatement. <laughs> So while at that time, Angel and her friends was looking at different courses. So obviously, I, I get tagged along to go to all these different university open day and stuff like that. And then I thought, ooh, engineering look cool. And there's lots of guys. And the pay package and all these scholarship and all these things, they look, you know, very full on, very professional, very eager. So I kind of maybe had a little bit of my mom DNA in me. Maybe, ooh, I need to chase for something that would give a decent status, that sort of thinking. So I think that was the whole thing start from that. And then also the other thing is my dad is almost like a, he's like, he's, a, he's an actual Tinkerbell himself. My dad <laughs> like fixing things. Any electronic stuff that you put in front of him, like how to wire the TV, you know, olden days, you know, the, the men and the cave. So they have the TV, <laughs> they have the video, they have the cassette, they have the speakers, then the subwoofer, and then this and that. You know, they have this whole full cupboard full of things. My husband has like a cupboard of cables. I'm pretty sure they don't fit into anything anymore, but they're there. Well, my dad is one of those people. So that obviously had some sort of a precursor in me if I can say this whole Tinkerbell mentality so then what happened why didn't you go into engineering school and how did you pick hospitality by that time I clearly see that I am not an academic whatsoever I, I have passion of other things but academic is one of those things that if you ask me to go and do the stuffing style again I generally regurgitate it if you want to look at it that way <laughs> So yeah, so that's why I didn't do it. And how did you pick hospitality? It was actually quite a serendipity thing. So dad actually left the police force while I was 15 because he just didn't... Dad has a different aspiration. 
where he want to earn bigger money. And then Hong Kong was very thriving. And then he has friends in the construction and everything else. So that then turned himself all the way around to having builders' workmen canteen and building sites. So it's quite funny. So imagine you are somewhere like the Expo 2020 site, which is a complete bare land. He would go out there. And build, set up a canteen. Yeah, build a hut, bring a team, get the food in. So within this whole barren land, you're the only one. So everyone has to dine with you. Everyone, when they need to drink water, they need to drink from you. That's where we started. And, and that earned a, a substantial amount of money from that. Did you used to go back like in the summer and help out? Yes, so I So that's have kind to. of where you... You also got your first whiff of um, of hospitality, so to speak. I wouldn't say a first whiff of hospitality. It's just the it is how the way we see that different ways of earning money. What really inspired Peggy to go into the hospitality industry were the theatrics she witnessed at Chinese weddings and at restaurants. She was fascinated by how dishes were named, how an entire team works together to provide customers with a memorable experience. She was hooked, decided she wanted to learn more. So she decided to study hospitality management, despite her parents not being too thrilled in her choice of profession. Peggy's father even told her, why am I paying so much money for you to be a waitress? She then worked at a number of restaurants in London, including the famous White Horse Pub. And then she worked with chef Atul Koshhar, who she helped receive a Michelin star. In fact, he ran the first Indian restaurant to ever receive a Michelin star. And then she worked for one of the most star-studded chefs, Joël Robuchon. Her career has been marked by working alongside the most talented chefs. And I asked her what it was like to work with men who had such big talent and even bigger personalities. This is what she had to say. I don't deal with male bulliness. Tell me more. Because, you know, chefs, I, I call them artists at the end of the day. They are artists because they have to have the creativity like an artist. All the plates of food that comes out looks like a piece of art. The only difference is highly perishable and is edible. So when you deal with Michelin star chef, I call them, some of them really have a rock star temperament. Like many creative directors. Naturally, but these ones have sharp objects and bad temper. So that's what made you choose to stay out of the kitchen? The thing is, I like the whole intricacy of serving people. I like the people interaction. So you were on the people side. Yeah, I like the people side, but I also appreciate the good food. So that's where I kind of chose my battle, you see. So that's how the whole thing started of how I think, hey, front of house is good fun. And a lot of the back of house, I mean, in terms of the chefs, they don't see the need. I mean, okay, they see the need of the Metro D, they see the need of the waiter, but they never see the need of sales marketing this lady just looks after the receptionist as long as the receptionist look cute or the host that looks cute i mean what else can she do so this is the general temperament that i get every time i work in a restaurant how do you deal with it i look at it as like brother you either work with me or you work with me so i remember the first day i started at Rubuchon, probably that was the toughest to deal with the chefs because the chef was very french And he was like, no, who's this Chinese woman? Why is she coming in? Why did the owner hire this woman? So after a week, I took him to the closest pub of the restaurant, a.k.a. the office out of the office. I bought him a pint of beer. I said to him, chef, 
I know you don't like me, but I really don't care. You have to work with me because this is the budget. If you don't work with me, it will stay red, and the door will close. And you might as well start looking for somewhere else to go and work. Wow, that took some balls. But if you don't like me, I really couldn't give a shit. He looked at me with this big eye, big blue eye like this, like a hawk eye. And they seriously try to push me out. It's not only him; it was the front of house Metro D. It was it was a whole clan of people. And I said to them, I said, guys, if we don't work together, you have six months, and this has to be sold off somewhere else. So did that restaurant survive? Did the boys listen? Well, they did, with a very brutal way of me iron fisting, going in and turning things around. Peggy's. Strength and attitude is something that comes back time and time again throughout her narrative. As we spoke more, it was evident that she was an extremely pragmatic woman, tackled any problem head on, took no BS from anyone, and simply got the job done. These qualities were essential in her overcoming the challenges she faced, especially those she encountered because of a double stereotype: one of being a woman. And one of being Chinese, and I've always kept myself well away from Chinese restaurant. So, I mean, since the introduction of the first Chinese restaurant in London receiving Michelin star, I have people asking me, "Oh well, Peggy, why don't you just go for and work for them? You know, it'll be easy. You know what you do, and and I'm sure you can get more stars from them." And I said to them, "I say that is exactly why I don't go and work in a Chinese restaurant because I don't want to be stereotyped first thing, and I like challenges." In many ways, hospitality is like a, a man's world. Did you ever feel like you being a woman, besides you being Chinese, but you being a Chinese woman, perhaps, was like putting barriers? I think in the beginning, I didn't thought the whole gender thing was such a big thing because ultimately speaking, is if you go to any restaurants or if you go to any service centric businesses, woman frontliner is plentiful. So when you're at a beginning stage, you are part of the frontliner, or you are on a stepping out. You don't have such a perception in thinking the gender was such a big gap until you go up and up and up. Then it's not only a glass ceiling; is there is no steps for you to go onto, and you started to find yourself getting cornered for a certain level of skills that you have. I constantly then was asking myself: Is is it worth the fight? Because ultimately, when you're in the hospitality, is nowadays yes, you have the celebrity chef, but have you ever heard of a celebrity metro d, or have you heard of ever a celebrity general manager of a hotel? Well, there's no such thing. And every time when you see any program, you always see is the chef, the dish, the room, the view, the amenities. But there are all these people at the background ensuring all these things are pristinely looked after and making sure that this is a well worthwhile business because it is a worthwhile business. It just needed a lot of maintenance. It needs a lot of updating. It needs a lot of attention to detail. And how does being a woman make it even harder to climb up those steps or to even find them? Because a lot of the time is you have all the men congregated on these positions. First and foremost, and secondly is, it's always been kind of like these bestowed upon position rather than of these people really climb up and earn their stripe and、yeah. get the position. 
I read an article on people were talking about like positive discrimination and, and should it happen or not. And maybe it means that women who, you know, that men who are equally qualified won't get the promotion. And is that unfair and whatever? And there's this woman, she said, she's like, look, we'll have real gender equality when incompetent women get the job. Exactly. Not when competent women get the job. There needs to be room to offer the ladies that equal playing field. And this is something that is not being offered in any other way. You somehow have to suck it in and deal with it first and foremost, or the other way is you need to be clever or eccentric with how the way you give yourself the innovative thinking or the innovative edge to overcome it. That's the way how I look at it. At the end of the day, a job is a job. You as human your intellectual, your background, your experience, this is all the enriching elements that within you that helps you to prevail. If you see there is a gap in the market, you go for it. Do you feel like in your own way, you were able to break that glass ceiling that you were talking about? I have to dig deep, go and do a lot of dirty work, roll my sleeves up to sneak through the glass ceiling I actually didn't break through I sneak through just like how the way the wind comes through the gap of the window I did exactly the same thing as you can probably tell from this conversation Peggy is a firecracker I would have qualified her coming out of this conversation as ambitious a go-getter smart pragmatic analytical successful unfortunately that's not how many people who work with her see her they have a whole other skew of adjectives. And I asked Peggy what these were. I've been called a lot of names. Bitch, aggressive, emotional. I can name a few. And they were really hurtful. But also a compliment. Did you get called names? Oh, hell yeah. It's like the big B with the black and gold plated. <laughs> with the bling of diamonds sparkling, girl. A lot of things uh Oh, she's like the Chinese dragon. She just comes in. She just blasts and fires. Dictator, the ruthless general, uh, the queen bitch. The, you name it, I've had them all. I've had them all throughout my history of working in hospitality industry. Do they just slip off of you? I look at it as like, dude, no matter how the way people call you, life has to go on, first and foremost. They still have to deal with you. And you still have to deal with them. I look at it as if I can get a bit more sales and make you work harder, I've already won against you. So you were able to go through this discrimination, being called names, all of that stuff by just being pragmatic? Yes. Were you called emotional? No, because I, I don't think I ever become emotional. I always goes in with a mission. I will have you as my queen general bitch any day of the week <laughs> but at the end of the day you go in front of the boss the boss asks the same thing they look at the sales forecast they look at the figure they ask the same question as you are having to answer for so why bother to go through all the loops and hoops with the people politics to try to justify for something these energy should clearly devised to do something more invigorating so that you earn a bit more out of your bonus so suppose there was a male version of you. What do you think other people would use to describe the male version of you? 
charismatic, pragmatic, thoughtful, insightful, industry-centric, through and through an industry elite. That would be my abbreviation if I was a man. I mean, as you've heard, Peggy's experience really brought back some of my own nightmares of what words people have used to describe me because I wanted a promotion, because I was seeking more responsibilities, or simply because I was acting like, you know, my male colleague, but it was acceptable for them to act this way, but not for me. And so Rhea and I decided to sit down and unpack this a little bit and talk about why it is that we use different words to describe the same behaviors when they come from one or the other of the genders. Hey, Rayo. Hi. So I actually, we're recording this a little while later after having recorded the episode itself. And I have a story from work that I wanted to share. And so we were having a team retrospectives. And someone gave feedback to one of the female members of the team that she had been a little bit aggressive. And honestly, I'm pretty sure that if I had been in this particular female colleague's shoes, I would have been like super upset, right? And anyways, we had a conversation in the team about the fact that it's not okay to call anybody aggressive, but more so that it's not okay to call women that because if a man had behaved this way, we would never have blamed them. We would have thought of them as strong leaders. I'll, I'll skip on that because I think we're going to dig deep into that, you and me. After the retrospective, she was really upset. I mean, she had tears in her eyes and I, I totally get it. I've been in her shoes. I went to her and I said, you know what? I hope they keep calling you aggressive till the day you die. Because that word, when it comes to women, that's a compliment. They're telling you you're a strong leader. And you're going for what you want and yes. you're getting shit done. Kind of like Peggy, right? There's calling her all these things and she got shit done. Yeah, pretty and, much. And, and she used that and she's like, I'm going to make you work. Which I thought was pretty inspiring. Because yeah. oftentimes when you're called that, it's fight or flight, right? It's so upsetting. You're doing your best. You're trying really hard to remain kind and like fair. Mm. And then maybe you lose it maybe you don't like it's not even that you lost it it's like maybe in times of crisis your leadership style is assertive and that's that honestly i mean i know people are gonna be like whiny girls it's so true if a woman behaves and exudes like these strong leadership type behaviors i mean i've been called whatever i don't even want to recount the names i've been called but i'm pretty sure that if i was a guy people would have just been like such a leader so inspiring so we wanted to see, kind of have like a theoretical explanation, academic explanation as to what Peggy went through and what so many women go through. Actually, the study that we found, which was done by Stanford University, basically looked at how men and women received feedback differently. And actually what they found was that men, the feedback that they received was way more oriented towards the results. It was more practical, whereas for women, it was their communication style. So how they talk to people, how they related to people. Yeah, I mean, there's so much data around the difference in how people treat or evaluate men and women. We could talk about that. But what I found like really great in this study, I mean, great, really sad, is that it showed that where women were being told about how they behave as opposed to what they achieve, they were also three times more likely to get told they were aggressive than men. Like that's the one that was just like scary because... First of all, on average, on average, women tend to be less aggressive than men. So natural behavior is that women are not aggressive. But then not only do they get told like an equal measure, they're three times more likely to be called aggressive in a review than men. There you have it. Are you telling me that all women are aggressive suddenly? Like, is that what this number is telling me? Or is it telling me that there's bias? There's definitely bias and it's always aggressive or emotional. 
Either you exude emotion and you're strong or you exude emotion and you're weak and either way, it's a bad thing. And actually, I discuss this a lot and, and I say that maybe women are able to exude emotion more freely than mm. men. That's quite possible. But, in, you know, I had this conversation this week actually with, with a young MBA, almost grad from INSEAD and she was seeking me for like discussions and mentorship and whatever and she's like, you're the first person I talk to or the first female leader I talk to who isn't afraid of saying that she is using words like empathy or vulnerability and my answer to her was, as women we try to behave like what male leaders look like Because we work in organizations that where the rules of the game have been defined by men. And so we feel that we need to behave like them in order to fit into the leadership group, right? One of the reasons why I wanted to do this mm. podcast was that my theory is that we need to define new rules of what leadership is. And if that means being emotional, fuck yeah. It's interesting because I feel like we have very different experiences in this. Mm. Because I think personally... I go between two two poles. Number one is I'm scared to ruffle any feathers because I want to be pleasant and I want to be nice and I want people to like me and I want not to be like perceived as too aggressive mm -hmm. because and even I even you use even, those words. Yes, even Damn I it. use those words because it's it's the way we've been conditioned as women to also to be pleasant pleasers. and yeah. pleasers and taking care of everyone else and shut your mouth while you like help everyone and do all that. But at the same time I find myself a lot of times being angry at myself for being the nice one and the one who doesn't speak up for herself or I'm getting better at it. But uh, it was a big learning curve for me. And I mean, here's my advice. You can't be successful, honestly, and even men. You can't be successful and universally liked. And I always said, I would rather be hated, but moving the company forward, than liked and not. But you know what's weird with this whole conversation? We're still talking about being hated and liked for doing the job. Yeah, I hear As you. women, right? Totally. Like that's at the end of Even the day. Even I have the bias. Yes. Like we fell into that trap of, yeah. whereas dudes, it's like, oh, they're doing their jobs. They're getting shit done. Strong leader. Yeah. Look, it's freaking unfair. So yeah, we also wanted to look at ways of um, fixing this bias. You know, we have a tip for you guys if you're a manager. And this is particularly in terms of how you whether reinforce or not this bias mm. and how you make sure as a manager that you are not part of a statistic, yeah. which is that if you are reviewing the performance of male or female colleagues, first of all, try to write down all of your reviews on like a single spreadsheet with equally sort of large columns so that first you see whether you're giving the same kind of feedback in terms of volume. Like, am I taking enough time to review everything? Try to set like um, a guideline. Like I'm going to do three lines on business KPIs I'm going to do two lines on behavior I'm going to do three lines on this so that you make sure that you're being extremely fair across the board and setting the same uh, five points to give feedback on and make sure for each colleague whether it's a he or a she that you are hitting each and every one of those points and become super aware of the words that you use yes. like go back and just look at the adjectives that you use to describe your various subordinates and just list them separately mm -hmm. by by female or male in a column and see whether you're using the same words or not. And that's a good way to sort of self-correct. Let's go back to Peggy's story. Let her wrap it up for us. She was called aggressive, a dictator, you name it. And all these adjectives, they just relate back to her communication style. 
It seems as though her peers and colleagues had a tendency to overlook her track record, what she'd achieved throughout her career, and just focused on the way she said things. She's worked with Michelin star chefs. She's launched the Aubin franchise in Dubai. She's opened her own boutique consultancy agency. If I had put a he in front of all of those sentences, you'd be like, where can I get this person's number? We have other words to describe Peggy. She's a firecracker who can fix anything. And she's just plain inspiring. In fact, we saw her amazing problem-solving techniques firsthand. Take a listen. So Peggy just tinkerbelled us. Ray, I was going crazy because we're in a tower in Dubai on like the boulevard in downtown. And there's a hole in the like window. And it was making like howling sounds. And Ray, I was going mad. And Peggy just fixed it. Because that's what she does. She's a tinkerbell. With a sofa cushion. I've known you for like, I don't know, an hour and a half. And I can say that I'm inspired by you. I love how direct and bold and unafraid you are. But you have to. I think, yes, I might stand out in what I say, but I know is what I say is what I preach and is what I do. Rather than people saying it for the sake of being known or, or discover or, or, or just to have an extra light or an extra follower, that sort of thing. We, have, we always have the same question that we <laughs> ask at the end of our interviews, which is, what is a feminist and are you a feminist? Yes and no. Yes is I'm a feminist is because I'm a very loving mother. I like being a female. I like that I can put my makeup on and look pretty and I can wear jewelry and do whatever sort. So from a, that feminist perspective and having that extra touch, yes, I'm a feminist. But from a work extent, I'm also, yes, I'm a feminist too because of the fact that we are slightly more pedantic in what men's word is, but in us women's word, we're more attention to detail. Therefore, I am a feminist, but in a work circumstances, I like my blend of both masculine and feminine because it's the yin and yang and it's the, it's the soft and the tough. You need that to intertwine together in order for things to happen. So that's my abbreviation of what is feminist. So that was my conversation with Peggy Lee. She inspired us with her wit, her sharp mind, and her no BS attitude. I hope she inspires you to go out and bust some balls at work. <laughs> Sorry, no pun intended. Peggy still lives in Dubai with her husband and two kids, and she tinkerbells her way through life. This was Who Run the World, hosted by me, Marilyn Zakauer and produced by Rea Shadid of Raisin Media. Please subscribe to Who Run the World on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to find out more about whose balls we're busting this week, go to our website on whorontheworldpodcast.com or our Facebook page, Who Run the World Podcast. You can follow me on Instagram at Permanent Hunger and you can follow Rhea at Raisin, R-H-E-Y-Z-I-N. Honestly, Rhea, why would anyone follow you if they can't even like find you? This is such a complex like spelling, dude. Because you spell my name R-H-E-A and then my nickname is Raisin. And so that's how my friends spelled it in college. And so I kept it. But I'm going to do eventually another one for Raisin Media. But I'm just waiting to like get my shit Why together. is this even like part of the conversation? Because you, you keep like you busting my balls about the fact that I no, don't I, I, And this time I had decided not to care anymore. And you're bringing it up. 
Because like you I keep have bringing to, like, it up. It's I keep like, having to spit it out for our audience. But I feel like you care a lot about it too. But you know, whatever, it's choices. As our dear friend used always says, choices. Choices. Okay. Okay. Signing off. Bye bye.